Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition and episode of the Fundamism Podcast. I'm your host and master of shenanigans, Paul Long, and uh, we got a good one. We got a good one in store for you because if you've been following the Fundamism journey, specifically in 2021, we're really focusing in on the how, right? Like there's a lot of folks talking about why and what to do, but the how is the most important thing because if we want to take action and changing our life and generating more joy, fun, and fulfillment, we have to know what it looks like and how to embody it. And so we have a guest today that I am honored to have and super excited to uh, obviously introduce, but you know the deal. Before we get to her and all of her glory, I have to shout out uh, my best friends, uh, my business partners in crime, uh, staunch advocates of the Fundamism podcast, and uh, just philosophy in general, Charlie Hustle. Charlie Hustle, they've been with us from the jump. Uh, we love them with all of our heart. Uh, Chase uh, has been just a, a great, uh, I'm going to say mentor. He doesn't know this, uh, but uh, he's been a great mentor in my life from a business perspective. But most importantly, they have amazing threads. So if you're into t-shirts and apparel and comfy clothes, go to charliehustle.com to learn more. Now, I said that I'm excited for today's guest. And uh, the reason why I'm primarily excited, and I just hit on it, is because she's all about not just talking about it, but being about it, right? Life is all about manifestation. So this young lady is a writer, a brand strategist, a marketer, and author of Believe It and Behave It, How to Restart, Reset, and Reclaim Your Life. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, we got Kate Harvey. What's good, Kate? Dude, what's good? I mean, what's good is I woke up today. That's the fact. Yeah, so that's 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 a small, that's a small stepping stone to all of the greatness that you're about to become and and go forth and conquer in. I mean, every day that's the opportunity, right? But to your question, what's good? What's good is this year, as everyone, as my colleague and friend, Rick Barrio Dale of Vintage Trouble said to me a couple months ago, in 21, we get it done. We get it done. We don't wait for it. We don't hope for it exclusively. We don't dream about it. All that, yes. Mm-hmm. And we, we do it. We make it happen. Well, what a, what a perfect segue to our featured fundamental. Um, so we are really working on these tactical behaviors to improve joy, fun, and fulfillment and quality of life, both at work and at home. And uh, because you are our featured guest, our featured fundamental is literally yours. It is the title of your book, Believe It and Behave It. And you just, you just kind of touched on it. It's all about manifestation and not talking about it, but going out and doing. But before we get to that, because we're going to have an awesome, lengthy, and very thorough discussion of how uh, to have more fun in life and, and uh, manifest things, whatever you so desire, the people want to know, Kate, what do you do for fun? So I'm 46 and a half. And so my idea of fun is super old school. So uh, I've got the fun when we're not in the pandemic. And then I had to shift that a little bit for the pandemic. So for the sake of, you know, life that is not Stanley Kubrick meets James Cameron, which is the COVID situation, it is things like talking to people in person, whether they are my old friends or my new friends, They are things like cooking, going to hear music, whether it's at some big venue or somewhere small. It also is doing things like playing skee-ball, which I know is not, it's not Fortnite. And I get that. At the same time, there is something about, you know, throwing that ball and getting it where it goes in the hoops. I think that's huge. 
It's amazing. I love ski ball. I'm not good at it, but uh, you know, so I got a Outed. question for you, Kate. Uh, two questions, actually, follow up questions to your fun. First of all, in playing ski ball, I'm a I'm a I'm a bank artist, so I go off, I go up top and off the side to try and bank it in. Do you go straight on, or are you trying to bank it off the side? So. First, I need to evaluate the weight of the ball. Okay. Is it are they the old school wooden ones like in the old carnivals where you know you're gonna get a splinter if you hold it and grip it in a certain way? Or is it the somewhat sleeker, more loose sight, you know, pool hall type balls? So the weight of it's gonna guide me as to whether I can, you know, um really underhand throw it like old school softball, or does it have um, uh, is it not as heavy? So if I wanted to kind of like, oh, I think I'm cute. I'm going to try to hook shot that. I'll do that because I'm usually the oldest person playing at the ski ball or the only person playing at the ski ball. So I might play with it because, you know, I'm not really worrying about the tickets that are going to come out or the prizes I'm going to get. It is more about, I mean, the sound of that ball when it drops down there. I mean, it's simple. So I'm going to strategize based on um, what the ball is. How tragic is that answer though? No, you're going to use your resources and the tools that you're given to maximize success. I love it. It's kind of a strategy for life here. Uh, Another follow-up question, and this is super important to me because music Mm. is my lifeblood. Get that. Uh, It is everything to me. So you mentioned that you really enjoy going to live concerts and venues uh, pre-COVID. What is or top three uh, are the greatest uh, concerts you've ever been to? Mm. So um, there's a, a question I like to ask people that I'm getting to know for real. If they could go back in time or go forward in time, what concerts would they want to attend? Because mm. it'll, it'll be possible one yes. day, maybe. So, but to your question in the reality of life, uh, top three, uh, and not in any order, because I, I don't have it like that. Um, the, the top, the most meaningful concerts I've ever been to, uh, seeing not told chronologically, the first show I ever saw at the Apollo theater was D'Angelo. And that was in every way glorious having Brown first heard him. Bay. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, no, you're not wrong. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, everything on voodoo well before, yeah. um, black Messiah, yeah. that was truly remarkable. Another one is when I was in middle school, growing up in Cleveland, going to see Sting uh, solo on the Nothing Like the Sun tour. That was insane because I had loved the police and was always trying to find a way, you know, 11 years old to sing um, uh, all songs that were not appropriate, you know, based on what they were about for someone that's 11. And a concert that was in every way glorious, um, an artist named Jose James, who has his own label now, Rainbow Bond Records, having seen him live since 2011, uh, the first show in which I ever saw him so good, I went the second night, him at a no longer open establishment jazz standard. So those are three of the the most remarkable. And this is how nuts I am about music, having grown up as a singer and back in voice lessons now. I save my tickets from concerts and I have them in a book and... I know that people think that's weird. And for me to look back and see Earth, Wind, and Fire. Wow. And Audra McDonald and Layla Hathaway and uh, the Isley Brothers and Robin Thicke and Charlie Wilson. You know, I, I, can, I can go back to who I was then and what was happening. And 
I know that a lot of people don't need to have the visual to remember that they remember it. And that's uh, yeah. So one day you know how to talk about music. Cause I know when it comes to hip hop, um, you are the guy. I mean, I don't know if I'm the guy, but mm. what I love about what I love about this discussion is every single artist that you just said to me, like, I, I consider myself very eclectic. And every time I hear that word, I think of sister act too. I don't know if you remember that, but like, <laughs> He's like, no stupid doesn't let you plug your box in. Anyway, so, but I, I like music in general. And so, you know, I'm thinking, don't stand, don't stand, don't stand. So, and I'm so close to me. Yeah. Feel? Like, and then, hey girl, how you doing? My name is Charlie, last name Wilson. And I'm not a great singer, but what amazes me is every single thing that you're saying, every artist is sparking uh, an effect resonates with or, you or, or yes. And that is this, right? That is, that is connection. And that's the power that not only music holds in my life, uh, and others, but I, I would say just showing a genuine interest in others and getting to know folks, uh, where they are. So I want to answer well, in the question. understanding, in the understanding component of fun, you know, whether or not I really, whether or not I vibe with someone else's taste in music, because I'm I'm all about all genres, absent, emo, dark metal, and the stuff that you have to be high to really enjoy, um, because I don't smoke anymore. Um, I will appreciate and value when someone talks about waking up at three in the morning to be in line for tickets to see a performer or performers live, mm. because in person, you know, to see, and I mean, the word intimate is overused these days. And it, I don't mean it to be about, you know, like at night with grownups, et cetera, but there is something I can't think of, think of a better word to be in the room when people are performing what they wrote, mm. what they are, you make, they're making up riffing, mm. you know, right then and there. I mean, to witness that that's huge. You know, whether you go to church or not, you know, to watch people kind of riff on solos from the church choir, it is, it's a gift. And I am so happy when people tell me that they are excited to go to concerts and yes, they can listen to Amazon music and Spotify and Pandora. And that's great. And when they choose to get a whole album and listen to all of it and read the liner notes and learn where it came from and learn why it exists and how someone, you know, taught themselves to play piano or learn to play drums when they were in the third grade. I don't know, man. I mean, that stuff, the perspective on that and the uh, vulnerability that someone's going to access by sharing that, that's huge. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. And I'm an individual that gets really emotional when I see creatives um, embodying and, 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 and creating. And so we used to do these featured fundamentals of the month where we would actually have a physical location, invite people in, and we would, we would live out a fundamental. And one of them was listening to music with a purpose. And so we had four artists come in and they were all different genres. I mean, we had bluegrass and we had, you know, all this stuff. And, and I want to get to um, why you came on here, which is to have a great time, which we're doing, but ultimately to talk about your amazing content and your journey. But to your point, the whole premise of this fundamental listen to music with a purpose was to have these, these different uh, artists in different genres and bands and whatnot 
play a song and preface that song with the mindset that they were in when they wrote it, play the song, and then really get into uh, what happened as a result or why they were there. And oh my gosh, tears. It was just so phenomenal and amazing experience. I wish we had the opportunity to do that with every single artist. But coming full circle, before we wrap up this discussion, I want to answer your question because uh, again, it's just so, it's so just, it personally attaches itself to me. Uh, the, the concert question. So if you could go back in time, what concerts would you go to? Mm-hmm. I also first want to start with the greatest concerts that I've, I've ever. Please. Uh, yes. First of all, Bruno Mars. And the reason why is because he was just, just a phenomenal performer and those of you that have listened to the Fundamism podcast regularly, you understand this because you've heard me say it before. Man, when I so I saw him in a smaller venue, smaller crowd, and man, who knows at that time how many shows they were doing per year. What year? Was this 26? Was it 16, 18? Do you remember? 2016, something like that. 2017, Great. something like that. Awesome. So, so they're performing. And at one point in time, Kate, it was like, it was like nobody was in the audience. They were just. It was him and his dancers just laughing and smiling and getting it and just being. And that was the moment that I was like, oh my gosh, I love this guy. So that's one. The second one, it wasn't necessarily just an amazing, like, um, it, it wasn't like their performance, but rather just the setting and the lights and all that stuff. There's this band that I really like called Tool. I don't know if you're familiar with Tool. Of course. So oh, yeah. uh, I saw them live. If I can go back in, in you know, time, first and foremost, uh, I would love to see Queen. Uh, specifically at Live Aid would have been amazing. I, I would have probably overwhelmed myself with all the people around me but uh, and had a nervous breakdown. But uh, them, obviously, I want to see Taylor Swift bad because uh, I, I just love her and I want to take my daughter. And then I saw the Michael Jackson like uh, uh, Cirque du Soleil deal. He would have been amazing to see live, obviously. Agree, agree. So, all right, let's talk pre-2009. Pre-2009, sure. uh, what's going on in your life? Wh- what have you seen? Where have you been? What are you working on? So are we beginning? So Wherever you want, sister. Sure. So <laughs> my life, I mean, I, I grew up uh, with the notion and taught that you keep things linear. You know, you're born, you go to school, you go to school, maybe you serve in the military, come out of that, you work. You meet someone, you marry, you have children, and things are steady and they're even and they are a straight line. Yes. And I was all about that. I figured that was going to be my life. And then I failed the bar exam. And that was in October of 1999. And so what am I going to do? I hadn't really liked law school. Hadn't really found my, a place. All the activism and all the justice that I thought would be really prevalent there not so much. So am I going to take the bar, get in six months and hope to, you know, prep for it differently and pass and then get a job and what? No. Went to work in advertising, which was the right thing for me to do. And so all that I'd learned in so far as analysis and writing and research and advocacy, great, did that. And, you know, kept up in that game for a minute and then moved to St. Louis because Max Fiance was in residency there worked for small business and eventually worked at Sephora where I moved myself to work in training and development. And that was an interesting place in so far as really learning how to listen. And because to listen and to hear are two different things. 
For sure. And what someone says and how they say it, you know, we can, with some, you know, you're at someone's house and the food's not very good, but you have to be polite because, you know, they're hosting. So the tone of your voice will indicate that this lasagna is delicious <laughs> and you have a good look in your eye. And in the meantime, if someone, if you could say, honestly, you'd be like, yeah, this lasagna is delicious like that. And so I stayed in the cosmetics business and worked in training development for some brands. And then in 2009, uh, everything changed again. And uh, a week after I was laid off from a job where I had been um, working in skincare and getting that knowledge known to people in stores and I was on HSN for it. I was visiting a friend in Brooklyn. We were walking to my hairstylist's house somewhere else in Brooklyn. And when the wind blew my hat off my head and I'm all about hats, I bent down the crosswalk to pick it up and an ambulance hit me. And that it hit me hard. And I went into a coma and fast, fast, fast forward. Uh, I had suffered a traumatic brain injury. And after two bouts in two different hospitals in New York, when I, I learned the day before I was released that New York law indicated I, or directed, I could not live by myself. For the first time since I was 14, I lived at my parents' house, which is in Ohio. So I got humbled hard and you had to put it back together, both medically, emotionally, intellectually, socially. And I do think I am still recovering from all of that because something like that happens and they think you're going to die and you're in a coma for two and a half weeks and they don't think you're going to come out of it, and you do come out of it, between not remembering things like who won the Best Actor Oscar in 1972 to things like the names of the people that you used to work with every day, uh, you're going to have to commit to starting over. And since then, I have worked to make trauma a teaching tool because I don't have to have been bankrupt to know what it is to struggle with money. I don't have to have been left at the altar to know what it is to have screwed up relationships. And someone does not have to have been almost killed to know what it is to start from zero when they're a grown person. And so between the work that I do in strategy and communications, the Vanderbilt Republic and the Midheaven Network, and as the contributing writer for the Universal Hip Hop Museum, I wake up every day very grateful and honored to help whoever I can help and however I can help them to be happy and real and grateful. Well, obviously a very impactful history. And I have a million questions as you obviously know, but for the Fundamism podcast listener, you know, I, I often struggle, um, talking through some of the details of these fundamentals, because oftentimes, if you're not explicit with what exactly I need to do next to improve my quality of life or whatever it may be, and there is area of gray, uh, oftentimes it's lost in translation, right? Because people, they get the concept, right? I get the concept, but I don't necessarily know how it, how it relates to me in my life. So just to kind of recap, our fundamental today is believe it and behave it. Believe it and behave it. And when I say I struggle with some of these fundamentals and specifically teaching the how, 
What you may not be always so aware of that we don't explicitly call out is that we are consistently through this podcast episode demonstrating the behaviors of said fundamental. Take, for example, if you want stronger relationships in life, if you want to get to, if you want to get to know people at less uh, than or more than a surfacey, you know, realm, then showcase a genuine interest and ask questions about their favorite concerts, or tell me about your life pre two thousand and nine, or this next question that I'm going to follow up with you. I saw on your website uh, a really interesting quote: "Years of messes, miracles, and meanings." years of messes, miracles, and meanings. So you go on to say, Kate, that you don't need to be left at the altar. You don't need to you know, have financial struggles to know all that stuff. But clearly you live some messes. What are, what are like, if you had to name like the top thing that you struggle with, the biggest mess that you found yourself in post-2009, what would it be? The biggest mess for sure since 2009 was as someone who long before Barbara Streisand sang it in Funny Girl, people needing people, definitely who I am. You know, friends, like legit friends, not the people we collect on social media who are not really our friends. Like? I became, right? How many thumbs up for real? Fake. How the biggest, one of the biggest challenges for me was one-sided relationships and not necessarily intimate one-sided relationships, like dating one-sided relationships. You know, I mean, I've come to realize that, you know, not everyone's going to be your friend. They could be your cohort. They could be a collaborator. They could be a colleague. And my impression that people really wanted to know me and hang and, you know, go through whatever turns out not really. And so all that I was presenting and all that I was trying to do and all that I was way coming on too hard for, no one, as polite as they are trying to be, or maybe they don't think about it, no one really says to you, you know, I get where you're going here and I'm grateful and I think it's cool. And I was, you know, thank, I really feel appreciated that you think I'm great. I don't really like you. (laughs) And I only talk to you because you work with so-and-so or because you just did this and I really need someone that can do that. So just to break it down, I mean, it would be wonderful. I mean, I said to a friend a couple of years ago, who had, who, who sent out the memo that said that the way to really mess with me is to ghost. And he said, well, no one needs to send it a memo on that. It's just obvious that that's who you are. Like you want to connect with people. And if someone wants to really, you know, do you dirty, they don't do that. Mm. And I said, how is it obvious? He laughed. He said, how is it not obvious? And so as I continue in the world and in this life, I am endeavoring to, I don't know if manage expectations is the right term, but not expect that every person I meet, that it it seems nice and interesting, et cetera, and caring about the world and it's all that is going to be in my life in a deep, serious, long-term way. And I think I came to be about all this and people connecting people only on my side in how grateful I was to be in the world. Mm. 
And the opportunity that I got to meet people, to know people, to hang with them. And sometimes I wake up and I have to remind myself, yes, you're grateful. And remember, you're here. It's not going away. As much as tomorrow is not promised, be sure you're about today, doing stuff today, not thinking, well, maybe it's not going to be possible. No, no, stop right now. Show up, be in it, act. So speaking of showing up and acting, um, what I heard you say from a mess perspective is just the feeling overall. And I feel like a lot of people can relate to this in that you were giving off a lot of energy in relationships and you were in and you were present and you would do uh, and you would be and you would act, but it wasn't always reciprocated or you found to be that some we're only in it for self-serving reasons or purposes. Is this a fair assessment of what I heard? I, I, I'm careful to not think that people were self-serving. Sometimes, professionally, sometimes that happens for and sure. has happened. Where I think my challenge came up and still comes up sometimes is what they honestly want mm. and what they are looking for. Mm. Which, you know, sometimes I'm very guilty of kind of mixing it all up, expecting that where I volunteer, I'm going to make friends, expecting that where I work, I will meet people that will want to, you know, hang out after work. And I don't know if that's a negative thing. It's just something that I've always, I've always been like that. And I am learning that maybe it's better to focus on the reason that I am in a place, which is to say to work, to volunteer, to whatever it is. And should it be that the people with whom I am there, we become friends, then that's a bonus. And that's an, that's a gift on top of what I'm doing. I love it. Can I add to your list of why you're there? Please. What about maximizing life experience? What about meaning? Because that is another word that you outlined and something that you started this, this whole conversation with. The reason why I bring that up is because when I think of Believing it and behaving it, right? Um, I feel like you're an individual that believes that you're entirely capable of attracting the right people and surrounding yourself with the energy that you deserve. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about behaving it, and this is less about you, Kate, and more for our our podcast listeners, if indeed you're looking to enhance the the level of uh, trust or um, the authenticity of the relationships in your life or whatever it may be. First of all, it comes down to believing that you're capable of creating those relationships and having them, right? Because ego and self-doubt kind of creeps in. They say, well, wait a second, am I good enough? Or I don't know, right? Or why, why do they, why do they feel about me this way? Interestingly enough, you know this better than anybody, when you're ahead worried about everybody else's thoughts about you or feelings, you're not really present and interacting with them anyway, right? And so in behaving it, first of all, addressing the fact that you do believe that you're capable, you know, in behaving that and creating and facilitating these meaningful interactions, hell, I love to just ask people like, you know what I get a lot of Kate, and I'm sure that you do as well, uh, via social media, LinkedIn, whatever it may be, uh, very cordial introductions. Hey, Paul, I love to meet with you or, uh, you know, I love what you're doing. Let's connect. And then I'll connect. And immediately it's followed up by a sales pitch, right? And like, I just got one yesterday. It was an email and a sales pitch. 
And the email was, was, was really generic about, have you ever thought about speaking uh, to try and sell your product or service? And uh, I'm like, that is my product and service. Like clearly you have done zero research at all. So here's my point. My point in saying all this is I like to follow up with these, these requests or connections with, with a simple ask. Like, what is your expectation of this relationship? Or, uh, hey, Paul, I'd like to get on your calendar. I'd love to have coffee with you. Kate, I love the opportunity to meet new people. As I get a lot of these requests, I just want to make sure that I understand what the purpose of our meeting is. What does that look like to you? Some people won't respond at all, at which point I know they're just trying to kick it, right? And I'm not opposed to that, but I don't have time to do that with everybody, right? And the second aspect of is, when people are deliberate in thinking about, well, what is the purpose of this meeting or what are my expectations? Well, then I'm setting myself up for success in either meeting or exceeding those expectations. So I love this conversation. And it brings us to the second word that came up is miracles, right? So messes and miracles. What's the biggest miracle that has happened to you in this journey of life? Sure. So the biggest miracle for sure is I didn't die in 2009. And as a result, every single thing that I get to do in life is a gift. Mm. I mean, everything from bad traffic to, you know, the wrong kind of experience at, you know, the hair salon, which doesn't happen to me personally because my stylist is great. (laughs) And shout out. Has to be. (laughs) Um, What you said, Paul, a moment ago, Intention and perception. I mean, I can do everything possible. I can hope, I can pray, I can practice, prepare as much as I can. However, someone takes it though, that's their choice. Mm. That's how they're going to do it. And so while believe and perceive is a rhyme, and how people like that better, for me, how we, what we intend and how people perceive, you know, that's, that's, we have no control over that. And so that's the biggest miracle for me. I witness miracles all the time. I mean, the, a lot of the elections last year, the wins there were miracles. They were active miracles because they took people, shout out Stacey Abrams and everyone in Georgia, um, to make them happen. At the same time, I get to witness them and that's glorious and I'm grateful for it. Hmm. Well, that takes us to the final word, which is something that you're living each and every single day and probably was the foundation for the book that you wrote and dropped, the crowning achievement in your writing career, which of course- So far. So far. So, although I would argue that uh, working for the uh, the hip hop museum is a pretty damn amazing um, plateau. I mean- Well, the story of how that happened is a good one. So if we have time, I want to share that because I think your audience might find value in how that came to be. She said, if we have time, like I don't prioritize the things that I want to hear. Let's go. All right. So we, I do want to hear that story because I have it on my list here. Uh, Let's talk about meaning. So the thought of believe it, behave it, how to restart, reset, reclaim your life came to you how? So you meant, you said earlier about And how 2021, how, you know, in terms of fundamentals, how things get done, how we make it happen, how we, you know, go from after we articulate, how do we activate? What I found for me in my, you know, official recovery time 
between all the doctors I was seeing, between all the different therapies, between all of the supports, I could not find for the life of me something that was bare bones, brass tacks, blueprint. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And as a result, the self-hatred in which I found myself, the consistent screw-ups, the relationship destructions, plural, all of the rabbit hole living that I did, a lot of it was preventable. And a lot of it was fixable. Had I only known some super, honestly, basic things. And so when I came to be at a place in my life where I felt good enough about what I was thinking and what I was saying that could be useful to people, I decided, let me share it. Because it was something I needed. I cannot possibly be the only person who has to go back to zero as a grown person. Let me take what I've learned and make something useful for people. Mm. And that's where it came from. Well, that, of course, what you just defined is literally the foundation of the philosophy for fundamentalism, which isn't rocket science or isn't anything new. And as a marketer, you understand that so many people in our industry are really saying the same thing. We're just branding it differently or whatever it may be. So nothing that I do is like, oh my gosh, this guy is, but it is, to your point, useful, honest, and actionable. Three words that I know resonate with you as well. So. When we think about useful, honest, and actionable, let's talk about those dark days, like the self-destruction. Because one of the things that I admire about your story and what you're saying, how you present yourself is there is a lot of folks out there, and I, and I have a lot of them in my life and have interacted with a lot of them in my life. And at one point in time, I was one of them, to be honest. Stuff happens and it continues to happen. And I'm like, gosh, why me? Like, why does this shit continue to happen to me? Or why am, you know, why am I hitting every red light? Or, you know, I took the LSAT coincidentally. I, I don't know that you know that, but not many people know that. I took the LSAT because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. And my dad always said that I was a great arguer. So I was thinking law school, here we go. So I took the LSAT and I did fine. Like I, you know, it was, I could have potentially got into law school, but I didn't. Probably better than me. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> But my, my point is there was a time where I didn't know what I wanted. I wasn't deliberate in, in uh, first of all, believing that I was capable. But then the, the byproduct of that is once I understand that I was capable, how do I go out and behave that shit? Because I don't know what it looks like, let alone how do I manifest it? So my point is when I hear you say, I'm in this place of self-destruction and the relationships are going bad and the, you know jobs aren't going the way that I want to, whatever it may be. You come to it from a place of ownership that says, I realized that I was in more control of these outcomes than, uh, than, I, than I gave myself credit for in the moment. And so I decided to do something as a result. And that came to be in terms of who you surrounded yourself with, writing a book and providing real life tactical things that other people could take away, aka what I call fundamentalism. So what are some of the most impactful uh, tactical items that really resonated with you. You said you you hit on a couple of them and you were like, they just changed my life or or my mindset. What are some that really resonated with you? Again, I mean, I, I mean, I, can, I guess we can thank, you know, someone on Vanderpump Rules for, for basic bitch, which is unfortunate because it's not a wrong thing to be, honestly. 
Uh, so the way I was, uh, when I finally came to, when I finally chose to recognize for real that I had survived something that was supposed to have killed me and initially thought to have killed me, I finally realized that there were reasons that this, that this occurred, not only because there were crack medical teams working with me, on me, not only because people prayed and sent flowers and brought food and coffee, not only because my family and my friends were stalwarts and hopeful and, you know, optimistic. It had to be because the world wasn't done with me yet. Mm. And so once I accepted this, I decided, and initially it felt very selfish to ask myself, what fuels me? What keeps me going? And the answer is like making money and seeing my name in a byline and titles and that were impressive. These things were not acceptable. Okay. Once I, once I scratched those things, I, I asked myself really hard, what, what, what do you desire? And that was to experience and witness and advocate and cook and write and promote and share what I learned in the recovery process. And once I was clear with all that, I was better at identifying Who is doing something, making something, saying something remarkable, meaningful, beautiful, challenging? Where can I help them? And I certainly did way too much offering to help. And, you know, I would love to help. And here's an example of how I can help. And when people don't respond to it, didn't respond to it, I didn't take that as them politely being like, yo, we get it. We're fine. Thanks. I took it as, they were, they didn't know how to say, wow, that's so cool that you would do this for us. Thanks. Great. No, they just didn't want to say you're cool. And we just don't really want that or need that. So please go away and, you know, <laughs> take care. Um, I think so the, the, the root answer to your question, Paul, I think is being God honest about who you are leads you to what you want. Uh, a second to that, because things always go in threes, is asking for help. I mean, if you're not if you're not raised in a family where it's cool to ask for help, because you know, at least growing up in our family, you just needed to do it, and you needed you needed to figure out how to do it. To ask for help was kind of like saying you were weak and you were incapable and you couldn't do it. That's very eighties, mm. you know. And I don't think people operate that way anymore. I mean, because things get better done when it's a group of us usually doing it. And I guess another thing that, and that, but I'll say this though, there is, there is courage that's required when you ask for help as a grown person because people can judge you. Sure. Vol- the a last thing, vulnerability too. 100%. The last thing, I guess, that um, I came to really appreciate that was useful for me was people talk about fight or flight you know, in a trauma, in a crisis, fight or flight. And yeah, fight or flight, that's neuroscience. Also, there's dealing with it. Okay, something comes up, you can't leave. Okay, because it's your family, you're on contract. It's your program. You know, there's really no one to fight because, you know, like COVID-19, there's no one to blame. 
There's no nothing that we can point our finger to and say, ha ha, you're the one at fault. I'm going to take you down. You know, you can't say see ya. And you can't say I don't feel like it. This is you. You have to trust that you will figure it out, all of it, however long it takes. Hmm. One thing I, I cannot get people to embrace this. I hope I will. I mean, it won't, it won't be through hashtags. Tortoise over hair. Okay. Nothing really remarkable happens in a minute. Nothing remarkable happens overnight, even in cooking. So, you know, pace yourself, recognize as you get there, every step is getting you better, closer, happier. I mean, this conversation is pretty remarkable and it's only been 40 minutes. So, sweet. <laughs> so here's what I took. Be honest with yourself. Have the courage to ask for help and deal with stuff. Address the issues as they come up. That one, that one hits real close to home because I think that there's a lot of folks out there that oftentimes hear what I'm saying about fundamentalism and gravitating towards the things that lift you up and make you smile and think that I'm saying sweep all the crap that's not working under the rug. That's not it. What I am saying is address no. that stuff. Like self-reflect and ask yourselves, how did I get here? What could be learned from it? And all this, the, your whole journey, right? Falling down and, and ensuring that you look around and see how bad it hurts and how skinned up your knees are and say, man, I don't want to do that again. So what do I need to do to make that happen? And then move the hell on to the stuff that you know is going to make you smile or happy or create more joy, fun, and fulfillment in life. So I love this stuff that you gave me here because I think they are very actionable and honest in expressing vulnerability and being honest as well. I will say and I'm going to speak for myself, but I'm certain there's a lot of listeners out there that can relate. Um, there's something that I'm working on right now that I'm really excited about. And I've been working on it, Kate, for some time in my head. And it's a, it's a computer-based training platform that essentially is their real-life tactical fundamentals that you could go in and, and take a course on. And they're fun and engaging. It's not the old training realm that you and I hail from, right? It's, it's fun and it's inviting and it's the brand, right? And so like, man, I, I want to go in and I got a business coach and all that stuff. And we've outlined some of these modules and, and, you know, every single week, my next call will come up with my business coach and I haven't done anything with the fundamental, the fundamental modules or the fundamental modules. Mm -hmm. And so my point is I'm laying in bed and I'm saying, I want to create this platform. I want to create this additional value add. I want people to be able to understand tactically what to do or the how to do it. So I, I, I believe it, but I'm not behaving it because I'm not following up on those belief systems, which then make you question and start to really reflect, well, do I truly believe it then? Do I really believe that I want to do that? Do I believe that I'm capable of it? And so sometimes believing and behaving is a cycle, right? Where you have to, everybody thinks they want to be a millionaire. Everybody thinks they want a stronger relationship with their spouse. Everybody thinks that they want their kids to listen to them, right? But believing it and understanding that's a want, and then going out and doing, doing the behaviors that you're talking about to implement said desired outcome are two different things. So if we had to kind of encapsulate your whole book, as we start to wrap up our time together and we get to some of the fun uh, Q&A where I'm just going to hit you with a couple of uh, really awesome questions. Um, they're not awesome because I wrote them, but rather the content that it's going to generate will be awesome. But rather, um, what would you say your book is like, if indeed I'm picking up the book 
And uh, I say, Kate, what is this going to do for me? What am I going to take away from this? What would your response be? While, while it is the title of the next book, I, and I'm not embarrassed to share it because it's in this one, what, what Believe It and Behave It will help someone do is to get to a place where they can define, design, and divine what they want. I mean, and that is as basic and as fundamental as anything. So defining it, you know, it's, I, it's this, it's a lemonade stand, it's a bakery, it's a consultancy for people that have changed careers five times, whatever it might be. It is a new way to train people that combines the old school tactics of writing things and talking about them and the new school media that keeps people, you know, happy about the cloud and grateful that they know Adobe and everything else. Designing it, how to make the blueprint, how to make the list, how to generate the tactics, the tools, and the necessities for this remarkable, spectacular, miraculous thing. And then divine is all of the feelings and the truths and the earnings and the facts about your excellence and your amazingness in this life. And because of all of that, what you want to exist will exist. Mm. Define, design, and divine. Speaking of divine, we're going to get into all of that awesomeness that you just referenced that individuals have uh, that you manifest on a regular basis. So we're just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with a couple of quick hitters. And I want to know the first things that come to your mind. So you are a a self-proclaimed singer. What's your favorite song to sing? My favorite song to sing is What You Won't Do For Love by Bobby Caldwell. Okay. And why? When I first heard it, where I was, who I was, before my throat got all screwed up and I needed to do voice therapy and work with the specific uh, teacher who I'm working with now, there was something about the way both what that song says and the way Bobby Caldwell paired soul and standard and torch and R&B in a way that helped me feel like, I guess you wonder where I've been. And I could envision saying that, singing that to anybody that I cared about, not only like a guy with whom I've had feelings, et cetera. You know what you mentioned before we started, before we started recording, and side note, I literally met you five minutes before we started recording. Fact. I talked about um, thriving in awkward moments. And you you assured me that things wouldn't get awkward, right? And I, did. I, I think when people hear the word awkward, they think, oh, uh, like, like it's something so, it's so uncomfortable, right? And that's not necessarily okay. what I mean. You know how many Happy. people would have the courage to just all of a sudden start singing a verse of a song, like live, like on a podcast, like just all of a sudden sing it. That's embracing 
an awkward moment. You don't know how it's going to be received. You have the courage and the confidence that you're, you are who you are and you're presenting it. And that's what I mean by embracing awkward moments and gosh, damn it. I love it. So, uh, well, no, notice though, this is the fundamentalism podcast. So for me to show up and be, you know, like tiptoey and halfway with stuff. No, I mean, that's not right. That's not fundamentalism because I think what people might get tripped up in the notion of fundamentalism is the end part, the next steps where you're actually doing a thing. Yo, I mean, come on. I've been saying since I was eight, if I fully sucked, I certainly wouldn't do it. And if I was, you know, if I felt that you were going to judge me, your audience was going to be all like, yo, mute that. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> they've heard it me say mo- It was for the moment. So, you know, like I said, it wasn't for the gram. It was for the brand. Oh, for sure. The and they've heard me sing, so they would never mute you. Trust me. Uh, you are an individual that have, you've, you've name dropped several individuals that have either resonated with you, like you've quoted speakers, uh, philosophies, concepts. Um, who's an individual that maybe speaks or created some kind of philosophy uh, that really connects with you most? Hmm. Well, he's not with us anymore, but the person who is responsible for why I went to the high school I did is William Appling, who was, he's passed, sadly. He was a composer, a conductor, and the most meaningful, ass-kicking, hard-charging music teacher with whom I've ever worked. And he demanded of all of us, without saying it in so many words, that for us to get to sing, whether it was Aretha Franklin, something from that Mahalia Jackson did, something that Beethoven, Mozart, or Haydn wrote, it was not only our privilege, it was our honor. And so if we were going to show up for rehearsal, show up for performance, we needed to really completely be there. So, uh, so obviously showing up and being honored. I loved what you just said, like being honored and appreciative of the opportunity to just show up. Absolutely amazing, Kate. So William Appling, uh, sounds like he was a tremendous leader in your life. And I appreciate you, uh, you sharing that. So knowing that, um, this is me personally, and you don't seem like the type as well. Uh, I'm not necessarily super into celebrities or awestruck by anybody, but if you had to identify like the coolest person uh, in the limelight that you ever met or that you would like to meet, who would it be? My list of who I'd like to meet is way too long for the show. So I'll, I'll save that for when we're drinking or something or playing, you know, like trivia at the bar or whatever. A person I have that I have admired and respected for a long time that I was grateful enough to honored enough to meet in person is David Diggs. And he was in a remarkable play at the public theater a couple of years ago called White Noise that Susan Lloyd Parks wrote. And he was so spectacular in this. And I live in New York. So, and I walked down there. So, uh, you know, the play ends and, you know, so, you know, the people, some of the people that are in it, you know, the production house, you know, they came through the lobby, people are having a cocktail and whatever. Happily, the security team of the public theater liked me because I was there in the lobby for two and a half hours after the show, only because I wanted to say to David Diggs, Thank you. To thank him for his performance in White Noise, to thank him for Hamilton, and to thank him and his friend Rafael Casal, who are, they're also spectacular hip hoppers, for a movie they made a few years ago, um, which 
I, I, I love it so much. Um, and I just want to get it and show everyone because I want everyone to watch it. It's called Blind Spotting. Oh yeah, I'm familiar with that movie. And I, I just wanted to thank him. And honestly, when I meet someone that's mad famous, that I'm kind of, what? The only thing I can think of to say is thank you. Mm. Because what they've done, what they've made, what they've sung, said, cooked, has moved me, changed me, inspired me. And that is all I really have to say is thank you. Mm. So I said it to him that night and told him why. And I th- he wasn't expecting it. So he kind of said to me, can I hug you? And I said, sure. <laughs> Pre-COVID. And so not that we talked for more than three minutes because he had to, you know, get home and get ready for the next everything. And the, and so for, it doesn't matter that it's only a few minutes and for the hours I was there to be able to say to him, thank you for all that he'd been doing was why I had stayed. And so that was really awesome. Creativity. I love it. All right. Last question. I would be remiss if we didn't circle back uh, before wrapping up with where people could find more information about you. Uh, The universe, uh, universal Universal hip hop museum. Museum. Sure. How do you tell me the story? Tell us. Universal hip hop museum was on Kickstarter a few years ago to raise money for its initial capital. And I was one of, I'm sure, many people that supported the museum on Kickstarter. And the way Kickstarter, of course, works is if you don't make your full ask, you get nothing. So the museum did not achieve its full request. And that bummed me out. I'm sure a lot of other people. And so I contacted uh, the museum via Twitter direct message after the Kickstarter wrapped, only to say, when you know what you need, let me know because I want to help. And blessedly, gratefully, gracefully, um, Adam Silverstein, who is the one of the founding board members and is the director of archives and donations, he responded to me and said, well, thanks. And so I started working for the museum and we did a newsletter for a little while and now I write the features and interviews that are on the website and are emailed to the uh, those that have signed up and those that are already involved and those that will be members of the museum. And so I share that because it was it was important to me the genre, the movement, the history of this mu- music, this community is important to me. And so I thought, well, if I can help, I'll help. And so that's how I got there. Took a stab through a Twitter message. And uh, coincidentally, I know that you're a fan of Cleveland Heights and uh, our very own Travis Kelsey. That's exactly how I connected with him via Twitter and then charity events and all that jazz. So shot in the dark, you take a stab. You Hey, if you believe it and behave it, sister, things will happen. So Kate, uh, listen, I have, I'm enamored with you, first of all. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Too. Um, thank you. Hey, listen, you don't have to thank me um, because you blessed the Fundamentalism Podcast listeners with a really authentic interaction and some tactical tips uh, for how to believe and behave it. So if somebody wants to get to know you better or swoop up your book, where would they go? So on the socials, I am the same on all the socials and that's Glossgal, G-L-O-S-S-G-A-L. And if they want to see anything that I've written, including see all the media related to the book 
and get the book via all the platforms where it is, which is everywhere around the world, on the webs and in independent stores. It's on kateharvey.com. And that's K-A-T-E-H-A-R-V as in Victor, I-E.com. Love it. Well, listen, as a lover of music, you'll respect this. We've only just begun. I had an absolute blast. I can't wait to to connecting with you. Thank you so much. Don't go anywhere because I want to give you thanks to you, the Fundamism Podcast listener. We couldn't be whatever the hell we are without you uh, and your devotion to living a life filled and overflowing with joy, fun, and fulfillment. Not to say that we have all the answers. Uh, Lord knows I don't, but we're seeking them. Uh, We understand that there can be something better out there. And if we believe it and behave it, then potentially our quality of life will be improved as a result. From the bottom of our heart, we'd like to say thank you for your support. Until we catch you on the flip side, be safe, smile often, have fun, and deuces!